you mightn't remember the first, but the early gigs covering women's sport. And we've kind of touched on like the differences that this World Cup team, um, the difference in in how they get to play now and the the minimum standards that are are available to them. (laughs) That is not how it's always been. And you touched on 2017, which is obviously recent enough. But what were your first early gigs covering women's sports? Well, the one that stands out for me still, I think, again, because of the progress that's been made since, was that um, when I started freelancing in, in kind of the autumn of 89, came out of, back out of postgrad college, um, I, I pitched a story to the Irish Times because the Kerry women's football team, the ladies football team, were going for eight in a row and there was absolutely nothing about them anywhere. And I said, you know, uh, I think if I went down to Kerry, I might get a story, you know. So uh, Malky Logan at the time was editor, only recently retired. And he said, yeah, OK, f- see what you get. And I went oh, down. Oh, was he enthusiastic or? He, well, he was because, yeah, he, you know, nobody else had suggested kind of really. And, you know, there were we just, you didn't see them, you know. They weren't on TV at the time. Nobody knew anything about it really, except we knew they were brilliant. And I had seen them play a few times. But um, when I went down, it was a week before the All-Ireland, right? They're going for eight in a row. They were thrown off the pitch they always trained on in Austin Stacks because there was a boys underage uh, league starting between for eight to 12 year olds. So they were thrown off that pitch and I went up. They went up to, um, uh, I think it was, they went up to the Strand. They went up to O'Reilly's, Kearns O'Reilly's. And I went up and there was five people on the sidelines and the players and Mick Fitzgerald, the famous manager. And anyway, I had a chat with them and all the rest. And then I wandered back over to down to the stacks to see what was going on down there. And there was a load of people down supporting, plenty of women and mothers watching their kids playing. And then there was also in the other club in the town that day, Mitchell's, there was a men's league uh, game on. So I went down to that and there was about 200 people at that. There wasn't a flag in sight. Mm. There wasn't a mention on them anywhere apart from probably local media. I mean, literally, there was no coverage. Eight in a row. And they were going for eight in a row and they were a sensational team. It was amazing. And how were you plugged into that? Obviously, no internet. You know. Yeah, because I suppose uh, a lot of the early All-Irelands were played. I'm from Leash originally. A lot of the early All-Irelands were, were, finals were actually played in Leash. And Leash, awfully Tipperary, that area was strong in ladies football and the, the, kind of when it started. So I would have been to one or two matches and, and would have seen one or two finals. But I, I had somehow had seen them play once. I can't even remember now where it was. You know, but it was amazing. Mm-hmm. And it struck me, it really struck me this week because um, when I asked Mick Fitzgerald, and he was Camogie originally, I think. He, he started out maybe coaching Camogie, but one of the things he said, and it struck me when, when the GA players, the women's GA players last week said they were kind of working to rule. One of the things he said, I have it in the piece, was their commitment is amazing and no less than many of the male players was his quote on the day. It's interesting, isn't it? And that was in 1989? That was 89, yeah. Yeah. And they went on, they won nine in a row the following year, yeah. And we're in 2023 and still seeing quotes very similar. Very similar to that. It's funny though, I was using one of those like newspaper archive sites a while back. I was doing a few different things on women's football I was doing and and kind of looking into Vera's sort of coaching history and everything. It was just astonishing how little there was. And like, you know, she would have managed Scotland like that was her first big job for a while. And then the Dutch, um, it was just so, so uh, like, so it's not just ourselves, obviously, this was just worldwide, like yeah. the kind of level yeah. 
of reporting. And and often you'd see maybe like a little footnote on an article, you know, last week Ireland beat Wales 2-1 in Cardiff, full stop, like, you know, and that was kind of it. So it just jumped out at you like that. It was just, but I mean... I, my earliest memories, and sometimes if I come upon early stuff, well, some recent stuff too, I, I blush, like, because I was always sort of looking for colour. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, it helped. Yeah, I, and that essentially was a colour piece as well. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember um, one of my many mortifying moments was covering an All-Ireland football final. I think Waterford Monaghan maybe. Yeah, they would have been yeah, very strong. Yeah. Was that the year there was the big controversy about the countdown clock? Do you I remember? I remember because it could have been Waterford Monaghan. It could have been Waterford Monaghan or Waterford or Mayo at the time, maybe Monaghan right. and Mayo. Not sure now, but there was and some big fuss. The yeah, yeah the ten minutes some, over time. <laughs> so one of the managers was arguing, you know, that not enough time was played. It was a very close game. I kind of came upon the report I did in that match. I think ninety percent of it was on the clock. You yeah. know, and then oh, and by the way, you know, Waterford beat Monaghan because that was my kind of instinct too was to always look for colour rather because there was almost a novelty aspect to covering women's sports. Now, I don't think you were like that. I mean, I used to read some of your reports on all Ireland's and stuff and you'd be kind of, if the match was muck, you'd say it. <laughs> and I'd be going, oh, you can't do that. But yeah, like I because you're trying to sell the sport to your editors this. and your readers. That's it. And you kind of almost felt like a, an instinct to be but this sounds terrible, like, but to be protective almost if it was a terrible match or something. But which like a lot was made then in in recent years of the rugby panel, the women's rugby panel on RTE and being so critical. Being so hard on the them. Team. Yeah, of course they'd be. Yeah, and yeah. initially you're kind of, <gasps> but then you're going like, this is great. This is brilliant. You know, it's uh, I kind of mentioned that one time until women's teams are scundered as much as the men's, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, equality. Yeah. Will we have real equality? Yeah. You know, yeah. Or will we always but, be talking about women in sport rather than just talking about no. the women's sport? But, I think, sport. Like the but you see, sport. I think as well, maybe the reason you put a lot of colour into it was, was because, again, the players weren't well known and sometimes mm. that was a problem. One of the things I, I look back and I'm mortified by now because, you know, you'd often see cuttings in the All-Ireland final things or whatever is, you know, identifying players players by their fathers or their brothers. Oh, yeah. But like I used to do that because mm. you were trying to get people to understand where this player came from, you know, or their caliber or whatever. And so you very would often would say mm. so-and-so's daughter. I saw an All-Ireland report I did and I was mortified because it was about four different references. And now I would never do yeah. that, you know, never do it. And even even when you be covering women's team sports now and team sports is really what we're talking about. They're different, like I nearly go out of my way to quote players as opposed to managers because mm. women get a voice so rarely True. that I think yeah. it's really important to give them their voice. The best thing that ever happened in my family is my sister is a really good camogie player and um, my brother was also a good hurler and, and footballer but in the local paper he was described as Susie O'Carroll's brother. Brilliant. Brilliant. And, he, and he knew it was the end of his yeah, career. Yeah, really. yeah absolutely. <laughs> but that's what you want. And the Indo, I remember the, when the, I worked with the Indo for a long time and they, at one point they, we had a bit of a, you know, a debate in the office over should you rate GA players, you know? Yeah. And my argument was no, you shouldn't rate them because they're not full-time professionals. And then the other people's argument was, oh, but they, you know, they get rated in the pub and they like to be rated and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, they agreed, okay, so we're going to rate male GA players. 
Um, so then I said, well, if you are, when we cover Women's All Ireland, we have to rate the women's. Mm. And we always did as well. So mm. something I felt strongly is whatever you do, you, you, you judge women by similar barometers, you know. Were you always, it sounds like it wasn't a fight, but were you always subtly pushing for changes to the women's No, I don't coverage? think I did enough, to be honest. Now I look at it and I don't think I did enough at all. Mm. I think I think I did think, think you would go in and you'd suggest things. But I think over the years, sometimes... You know, you got slapped down so often that actually, you know, probably over the years you, you didn't push as hard as you should have. People always say, oh, God, you're great. And I go, no, actually, it was only when I left the independent and it kind of coincided a bit with the 2020 movement, which came a little bit after, about a few years later. But when I left and I was freelance, I thought I could do a few things here now. And one of the things I'd like to do is kind of advocate for women's sport more because I could see that it was still not pushed forward the way it should be. So I think I also you're very busy work covering. You're just mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, on the daily beat in a sports uh, in any kind of a sports beat, uh, you're working hard all the time. And by the nature of things, a lot of that time is you're covering men's sports wherever you could. You would occasionally. But I do think I probably didn't fight hard enough. What were those lap turns like? Oh, just, you know, no. Well, the always the thing was, oh, look at the size of the crowd and nobody's interested, you know, Mm. and that's why, you know, that was always and that is a fair argument. So if you're getting that argument all the time, you know, um, like I had brilliant colleagues, I have to say, like most of the people I worked with were incredibly supportive and I worked with men largely all the time and I still do. um, Amazing. But at at at. At editorial level, decisions were always made really on general, you know, how much interest there was and you would get. But come on, you know, there's nobody, there's only going to be 1,200 people at that All-Ireland final or whatever, mm. you know, compared to whatever it was. You know, Men's League of Ireland has suffered the same over the years, but it needs, it does need an advocate in there, you know, and I probably didn't, I think probably at times, I probably didn't push hard enough. 